Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, the co-author of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass you can find at theoryofdfs.com. Joins me, as always, Neil Orfield, player DFS on Twitter, uh, at awesomeo.com, with the new podcast came out with, The Great. High Stakes, a DFS discussion show that you can find on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, on the awesomeo.com uh, podcast feed as well. Uh, how, does, how does it feel? Uh, you're, you're the host of a show, and you probably get to talk more than than you do on this show. So uh, kind of it makes me appreciate not having to host most shows because it's a lot more work hosting a show and I feel a lot more pressure. Like I go into it feeling a little bit more nervous when I'm the one who has to host because I'm like, I have to carry the conversation now. And that's that's a lot of pressure. So I feel for you always having to host this show. No, you shouldn't have to feel for me at all. I have no problem carrying the conversation. Oh, I know that. That's also true. You and I have different personalities. So you're a you're a pretty natural host. You can you can talk the whole hour. No problem. I'm a horrible host. I mean, you're an entertaining host. You, you have a different style than me for sure, but I feel like you could go a full hour. You, you have no issue filling an hour, whereas I'm, I feel like I need to have kind of more but, but that's the, But that's the sign of a bad host. Like, like a host is supposed to make their guests look good. Like Johnny Carson, yeah. who is the quintessential late night uh, talk show host. Like the more, the better that the guest looks, the better job that they're doing. And that's, right. that's what it's supposed to be as a host. I'm more of a, like I'm on a, a talk radio show as like you know the shock jock and the, you know the morning you're a different style with like host. the secondary people and it's like there's really no such thing as like I'm not hosting I'm the main person you just happen right. to be on the show also but people come for that I mean that's that's part of your show is people enjoy that aspect of your shows so. not according to the comments I get tons of comments on YouTube uh, more so in the past about damn can you let the other guy talk yeah yeah well. <laughs> I guess it's a it's a fine balance there, right? But they still come and watch, even if people yeah, don't always appreciate it. But I guess, yeah. I uh, so so. What do you think of the name High Stakes? I we struggled with with naming the show, and we went we went with a few different directions, and it's kind of a misnomer in that we're not always talking about like I'm not a high stakes player. I'm a high volume player, but I'm not a high stakes player. A lot of my guests aren't going to be high stakes players. So who knows? Maybe that's something that'll change in the future. But for now, we're calling it high stakes. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about because. Yeah, uh, like it is a misnomer. Like I think that the title makes sense because people view high stakes as the pros, right? Like if you're playing high yeah. stakes, most most people, I I would I would put things into like maybe like maybe four buckets on the like the percentage of uh, like vol like like you said high stakes versus high volume. Like yeah. you, I would consider you to be a high volume player, and yep. I'm more towards that bucket. I'm less high stakes, but a little bit less volume than you. So maybe I'm mm-hmm. a mid-volume, mid-stakes kind of level player when it comes to that type of thing. Yeah. But uh, high stakes versus high volume really means, like, if you're 150 maxing, like, the two main GPPs on DraftKings and FanDuel, like, yeah. on DraftKings, that could be, like, $2,700 yeah. to, to max it out. I mean, sometimes I mean, it's, like it's 3000 right? NASCAR is thirty-seven fifty this week. I mean, sometimes they do the twenty-five dollar entry. So yeah, right. And then high stakes would be like you're playing the the, the fifteen hundred dollar three max. You're playing the yep. the, the 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 you're maxing your one fifty maxing the eighty-eight dollar like tournament. You know, like it may not be one fifty, maybe like eighty-three max or something. 
Like yeah. where your your total but, volume is like like thirty thousand, forty thousand dollars. Like you're not doing that. So I, I'm with you 100 percent right now. But I just want to I, I want to uh, ask your opinion about something. Where would you put yourself in terms of percentile, in terms of your volume? So you say that you're kind of mid volume because you're playing a lot less than I am, and we like to give you a hard time about being a nit. But like, do you think you're still in like the 95th percentile in terms of I, your I volume? I still think I'm in the 99th percentile. I mean, I think you might be too. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, but that's why I pretty, pretty high, high I, volume I think, too. I think there's the top 0.1%. Right. Which is like Alex and yeah. Brian and Penny. And Travis Betty, who was just right, on the yeah. Right, who was just on the show. I would put them in the top 0.1%. Yeah. And me and you probably are both in the top 1%. You may be in the top yeah. 0.5%, and I'm in the yeah. top 1%. And then there's like uh, in the top 10%, there are like people that maybe play three figures worth of, but like, you know, they're, they're playing a yeah. hundred to $300 on a regular basis. Like that's yeah. like the top 10%. And then like, I think that sounds right to me. Cause there's not, the, not that many people doing that. Right. Right. So in the grand scheme of things is like, I'm still from, from a volume standpoint, <laughs> like on DraftKings, I'm, I'm the top status dynasty tier, you know, Onyx, whatever, because they changed it to the, you know, it's not black or whatever. Oh, you're Onyx here. Okay. Yeah. I didn't, I, didn't, I wouldn't have guessed you were Onyx. Well, that, that's what I mean. That I play it yeah, yeah. volume that that uh, over the course of a year, like it's very hard for me in the past. I think I only made black maybe three or four times. Uh, yeah. And that's, of course, you, you give in all your achievements and your missions. They add to that. And it's it's almost always like October, November because of football, because you up your volume for football and soccer's still going on and baseball's still going on. And yeah. so you, you, you just, you, and then you get all your achievements then. What was black them. tier the highest tier? Yeah. But that was okay. for 120, yeah. like black tier was $125,000 worth of volume in a month. Diamond yeah, was, often. uh, was 25,000. So like I was typically coming in somewhere between 50 and 75. Like there was no yeah. like middle tier in there. So I was always getting yeah. screwed on some of the rewards. But then when I get up to 75,000, I could, I, I would just save up all my achievements and all the all the stuff and just get over the line, uh, yeah. and then be able to cash in whatever the six seven hundred dollars worth of rewards the next month. But now they're doing it like on a yearly basis. And last year I apparently had enough volume and enough crowns to make onyx. But you consider from how how I talk about my my play about my nittiness that that I would not have the volume to to get to that point. So I almost right. have I almost have to be in the top one percent. Yeah, that that I would think that you are just based on our conversations about how much you play. That does sound right. Right. It just it just it split out more. I mean, really, like, yeah. like on 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 an MMA slate, for instance, like like this past week, I actually played less than I normally did. I played seventy five lineups. Uh, that's still that was this little eighteen hundred dollars, right? Yeah. And in soccer that morning, I was playing like somewhere, but I think about eighteen to two two thousand on the slate for soccer, and that's like almost every Saturday. And then a lot of Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And then I'm playing between FanDuel and DraftKings. I'm still playing probably somewhere around 2000. I mean, like, yeah, like it's less. So it, than I you, mean, that's, that's but, a ton. It's a, it's not that much less than me, but it is. I mean, you're probably, I don't know, 60% of my volume or something, maybe, maybe less than that, but pretty close to my volume relative to the difference between me and like the, the guys we're putting in the most. I was just, I mean, I'm in a text message with, uh, a guy, a pro that I met in Arizona, really nice guy who I'm not going to even tell you his name uh, just because of 
what we're talking about. But uh, a guy that I think a lot of people won't even, don't even know who he is. And he sent me a screenshot after the Super Bowl um, where he had some success. But he had fifty or $60,000 in play on the Super Bowl. And I was, like, shocked by that. Like, I've never had that much in play in a day. Uh, and this is a guy that, like, I don't even think of as being the highest high end of the uh, – in terms of volume. And maybe that was an outlier because of the Super Bowl, but I was I was pretty shocked by that. Well, some people got – I mean, I, I dude, I've, I've seen – essentially recreational players. I mean, that treat it like winning big, big at the craps of the blackjack table. I mean, right. I, I've seen, I've seen uh, over the course of six years, six and a half years of playing, I've seen dudes that, you know, normally play a hundred, 200 bucks a slate. Then they, they win $150,000. And the very next day they're, they have $25,000 into play. Right. Right. So it's like, that's yeah. a, it's not, it's not uncommon to see that. I'm talking about more on a consistent, yeah. Well, so so I say this thinking my guess is that he actually plays that volume regularly because I mean this is a guy that I know as somebody who follows sports, uh, who follows DFS. He is uh, usually 150 max in the big contest. Okay. So I don't think it was an outlier for him. I think it's possible that it was a bit of an outlier. Maybe he played a little bit more volume, but my guess is that he does actually play much more volume than I do regularly. And and obviously there are a lot of guys like that. I mean Travis Petty. We talked about he maxes out everything on the main. Uh, the main slates for NBA, and that's uh, that's a lot of money. But there is a but there is a difference between high stakes and high volume. I yeah, mean, exactly. So I, I generally I'm just high volume. I'm 150 maxing the main contest on DraftKings and FanDuel, which is a lot more than most people play. But it's uh, not not high stakes in that it's not a, a high dollar amount per entry. Right. So so we would classify ourselves more as lower stakes players with high volume. Correct. Yeah, I agree as with opposed that. to, uh, so like you take someone like uh, like Empire Maker. Yeah. Right. He's a high. He's a plays one lineup and plays a hundred thousand dollars worth of volume in the highest. Yeah, definitely high stakes. And, yep. And that's it. And that's it. Like to me, that's that's high stakes. Right. Yep, I agree with you. Right. So that would be a high stakes play, but typically they're smaller field contests. Right. So yep. the skill. To me, the skill set between the two is dramatically different. I mean, you discussed yeah. it on, uh, on, uh, with, uh, with, with Petty on the, your last podcast about yeah. the step up of like, and you even mentioned it, you know, here where like you went to Roto Tracker and $50 and up, you're actually not your negative ROI. Yeah. But at the lowest, the low stakes with high volume, your massive profit, uh, how do you, how do you step up? And my, and my, my, the, the discussion that we have, and same thing with Eric, because Eric is Eric is someone that plays would be considered more of a higher stakes yeah. player. Doesn't play as often, but when he plays, typically plays four figure dollar amount single. Right. He only plays one to three lineups, that type of thing. That yep. your the question that you had with Travis about like how how did you step up to the higher stakes? And obviously that was so long ago for him that he just he doesn't he yeah, doesn't he didn't even remember. remember. Yeah. Uh, is that your is is that something that matters? Like that my, right. my 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 you're 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 coming from the, the approach, which is an open minded approach of I've conquered the low stakes, the high volume stuff. How do I now now scale this to the right. smaller field, higher stakes contests? Uh, and my attitude is, why do you have to? Yeah. And I understand your attitude. And I, I think about that. I mean, we, you and I have had this discussion uh, before. Uh, so it's definitely in my mind uh, that, yeah, I don't know that I need to. I, 
you know, I, I kind of just feel like it's something else that I want to try to conquer. But also, ultimately, I'm just trying to make money. And historically, looking at my Roto Tracker, I would have made a lot more money to this point if I didn't play those higher stakes contests. So maybe that is something I just need to not try. And that's Travis's response, which sort of surprised me. And maybe, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's right. He's, he's given this a lot of thought. But he said, in his experience, people who are good at high stakes can win the larger field tournaments people who win the larger field tournaments can't necessarily win the high stakes tournaments, which I intuitively, I would think the opposite of that just because, well, if you can win a, a field of 30,000, you should be able to win a field of 600 and not necessarily the opposite. But I also think that kind of makes sense that, uh, you know, take, taking the next step, obviously I, I've struggled with it. I haven't been able to do it. So I think Travis is probably right, even though intuitively I would have assumed the opposite. Well, the, 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 the basis of your ROI and the va- the variance of your play comes from two to two primary variables: field size and field strength. Yep, right? that's a good point. And I want I want to bring up because uh, I think uh, Awesomeo and Alex talked talked about it. I'm not sure on your podcast, but maybe on Brian Jester's Emotional okay. Bankroll yep. podcast, which you you're on the latest episode of that too. You're doing the doing yep. all the whole podcast rounds now. That's right. Yeah, doing a circuit. Right. Uh, that. Alex said that the variance at the higher stakes, smaller field contests is higher than in the, in the large field, lower stakes contests. And if you think on what makes with the composition, the variables of the field size and field strength, that actually makes more sense the way that Alex puts it. It, what, what it means is that what we bemoan in, in large field contests, me and you, Neil, is that we consider it to be very high variance contests because it's very top heavy, very large fields, and the difference of getting seventh place and first place could be could be ninety nine thousand dollars and three yeah. points, and that could whether or not one basket goes in or one guy hits a home run could make your entire year, make or break your entire year. So that is high yep. variance, but the positives of the large field contests, which don't exist much in the small field contest, is what I harp about on this show all the time, is that the field strength of the large field contests are so much weaker that yeah. the rake I feel is paid. Is like the, there there are enough bad lineups, bad lineups from two two angles. Bad lineups where they're projected they're just really they're just fucking bad. Right? People putting in players that are injured, people building lineups that, you know, there's two guys that have a 10x median and they're not playing either of them. And like, yeah. like, it's just like these lineups are not even competitive. And then you also have the lineups of people jamming in the best plays where they're yeah, not just the optimal in. lineup. Right, right. Where they're, they're, they're cash, <coughs> their min cash equity is high, but their winning equity is very, very low. And that's what right. we take advantage of. But in the large field contests, if we put in, you max it out. It's a ten dollar contest or whatever. It's fifteen hundred bucks. In the lo- in the lower stakes contest, you'll have a lot more days where you get thirteen hundred back. You'll have a lot yeah. more days where you get twelve hundred back. You're not you don't have that many unless you take really big stands strategically, and it goes wrong. You're not going to have many minus nine eighty ninety percent days, and that's primarily because the field strength is weak enough that even your semi bad lineups are cashing that you're cashing right. some of these lineups that in the, in if the field strength was higher, 
you wouldn't be cashing those lineups. And then in the higher stakes, smaller field stuff, 600-man contest, 888. Like, it, yeah, it's lower rake. It's like 8% rake. But, like, there's there's no bad lineups in that. Con- like, there's there's really no bad line. Occasionally, you, you see one-offs here and there, some people taking shots. But for the most part, they're not bad lineups. So the average strength of a lineup is much higher and the edge between the two the lineups is much smaller, right? Yeah. So that means the difference between first and twentieth is the expected value of each lineup is very minuscule, and it's all strong, mostly strong players. That when Alex says the variance is much higher, that would be the case towards the top because uh, everyone is everyone is good, and you yeah. don't get the benefit of if you're slightly off. If you're slightly off in the higher stakes contest. Like you put in ten entries into the eight eighty eight, you'll get zero back. Like yeah. you're right, you're you're not gonna you're not gonna catch two entries. You're gonna you're gonna get zero. You're not. You're and you've got have nine thousand dollars at stake. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, that, and that's I would add to that. In the smaller or the, the larger field contests that we play, you can fifty x right. So you can have one day that pays for your next fifty days, even if you don't win anything back those days, which isn't gonna happen. Whereas in the small field high dollar contests i don't know i don't know actually what the max is but i think if you max out those contests you might and, and you win you'll what 5x right so like it'll only cover you for five days five days where you're losing everything so i think that's another variable that right Dep- you know it's it a little bit harder to master if you, that. if you max enter i'm just talking about from even yeah, yeah. a single lineup perspective like even if you just played one lineup into large field and one lineup into the high stakes small field even like okay you're more yeah. likely because of so many bad lineups that that your $15 entry turns into $25 more often than your $888 entry turns into $1,500. Yep, that's good. Yep. Right? Because the field strength is just so much higher, and the edge yep. between lineups is so much smaller. Yep. So that's really where the variance... Like, the variance comes from both the field strength and... Because if you take a look at it, like, if it was a poker table, for instance, and you're playing in a nine-handed table with eight other similarly strength players... Right at the end of the day, the casino eats each eats everyone with the rake because no one could no one has enough of an edge over the rake. But on a day to day basis, it really just comes down to who gets the better cards. Right. right, right. It just comes down to did you did you get good cards today? And if you if you did, or how how a how a turn or a river comes out, and it's like like because the edges are so small that well today I lost five grand. But I could have easily won five grand today because the skill of all the players are very similar. But if you're at a table with eight donkeys, your variance is going to be much lower because you're going to win so many more hands that you shouldn't have won. Or you're going to be out of hands that you wouldn't have been in in the first place. Those types of things. You may see higher variance in in the biggest pots where, you know, someone hits a gut shot against you or something like that. So... The top end goes up and down, very similar to a large field contest. But on a day-to-day basis, it's very hard against eight crappy players to get sucked out on, you know, six times in one session. Only because right. you're edging those scenarios. You you could be a four-to-one favorite six times. You're probably you're probably gonna win you're probably gonna win four out of six of those pots, most likely. Right. But three out of six, even on a bad day, two out of six that you don't lose you don't lose 10 buy-ins on the day but in an equally skilled game like those edges if you're going to push those edges 
where he just it's oh it's it's a ace king versus tens all in pre flop. I mean, like it's like it's coin flips at that point. Right. So so what I'm hearing is in the high stakes, bringing this back to DFS, because there is such a micro edge, because all the players are so good, you don't have that same advantage over the competition. I wouldn't think there are that many players who can win at high stakes long term. Do you think that it's a, a much smaller number than people who are successful in the large field tournaments that you and I are good at? Do you think it's a much smaller number who are actually successful long term at high stakes just because there's so much, you know, people of equal strength playing against each other and kind of pushing back and forth and it just the money kind of goes back and forth between those players and and obviously the rake is always sucking away some of that those earnings. So do you think that it's a much smaller number of players who can win at those stakes than the Ma- high the high volume that we play? Mathematically it almost has to be, but yeah. but also it's a byproduct of if if if, if the field is more equally skilled that it's more the fact that people get that the if you if you're playing with sound bankroll management, it's more of the type of thing that those contests will bleed the field away over time, and it could be a right. long period of time. But uh, like any any like if you don't have good bankroll management, like that that's to me that's how you go broke. Right. Like if you if you think you have a, a ridiculous edge in, in higher stakes and you don't, and you're playing fifty lineups into the, you know, whatever. Con- I mean, you're playing forty thousand dollars of volume, and have minus eighty percent days. Like over and like I I can't see without a, a humongous bankroll how you don't go broke in those situations. Yeah. But I think if you're playing within your means, uh. I mean, I'm I'm speaking purely theoretical because obviously I'm not playing those contests. But from right. a mathematical standpoint, I I see the fields. I've studied. I've downloaded CSVs. I look at results DB. I look at everything, uh, and it's, I look at who's in those contests, and I go, okay, well, this is a good player. That's I go down and I occasionally see one-off lineups of like I don't know who these. I about maybe five percent or less of the field. Are people that I are usernames that I don't recognize, right? But you, but you know how 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 small that is in comparison to large field contests. Where if you, there's 600 entries into a contest, and I'm telling you that that there are 30 entries of a with usernames that I've never heard before. That means there's 570 of like I immediately know the username. Right. So strong, if I immediately know the players. username, they're probably a good player. Yet yep. in a thirty thousand entry field contest, dude, I could find five thousand entries of more than that. Even I mean, it like it depends. Yeah. I mean, ten thousand entries of never never heard of this person, this person, this person. This at person. least, yeah, right, I would at think, least, yeah. right? That's and that's what I mean. So, uh, I'm, I, I mean, you'd have to talk to someone that plays more in the high stakes, but maybe that's where Alex is coming from, where the the variance is that. Since the edges are so small, that yep. that uh, I'm I'm am I'm assuming that you could you could probably squeak out a, a small percentage in there, but maybe that's I mean once you add variance to that, who knows? I mean like well if yeah. one guy is one percent better than another player, how long of a sample how big of a sample size do you need in order to to show that in your ROI. I mean, it would be right. 20 years. I mean, I, you might be, you might be talking me out of uh, trying to up my stakes. The more we talk about this the more, I'm like, yeah, maybe it doesn't make sense for me to try to increase my stakes because that's just, 
not my strength playing against these these large fields and trying to beat people who are already playing great lineups is not generally how I win. So maybe maybe the edge isn't there for me. But isn't that the fundamental thing? Isn't that the thing that I harp on about all the time? That the number the number one thing, I mean it's in the course. The number one thing that will affect your ROI is is the opponents is the strength of the opponents that you play against. Right. It, like if if you could do nothing else, if you could sit here and go, I could never possibly improve my play. You could make more money right now by just finding weaker players. Yeah, weaker players or overlay, I guess, is another right. You know, obviously, but that's that's because that's basically zero. The players are putting up zero, so right. Yeah. So right, it always exactly comes there. back. To so me. yeah, you're right. 100%. It always comes back to me. That's why I I start going like, oh, winning these large fields are tough, and it, you have to. It's slow. It's a slow. It takes so long before you win. And you feel like, am I ever going to win again? Am I ever going to have a, you know, 50K, 20K, 100K payday? And then, then inevitably once a year, it kind of happens. Like, like no matter what, it seems like it on average once or twice a year, at least for me for the past six and a half years. And I play lower volume. So like one a year, I'm profitable. So, Like, and it's still kind of like, do I don't like from a psychological perspective, right? An emotional perspective, right? Emotional bankroll perspective. Right. Uh, it, it, it's not fun. It's, yeah, no, it, I agree. It's not fun, but it is, it is, but that is the, Matt, that is the way that you should be doing. I mean, like, it's, yeah. <laughs> I don't like those, well, then- I don't like those swings, but how do I, how do I reconcile? Not wanting to play against in, in the weakest field tournaments, even if they're top heavy, you know, large field stuff. And right. that is, it is what it is. It is. Yeah. It's, it's the best way to win. It's definitely been my most successful is playing just those large fields. And it takes a while. Of course you play, I mean, 60 to 80 entries when I'm playing 150. So it takes, it takes more for me. Like I need to win more than once to be profitable right. in a but given year. But also you year. have twice the amount of opportunity. So like, yeah, exactly. Right. So, if, so you, then, if you win four, if you if you take first and you bink four times a year, and I bink twice a year, it's essentially the kind of the same yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. So like, so like yep. I don't have to post screenshots, you know, every month of a hundred k in order to be. I mean, look, you talk to you talk to Petty, uh, in NFL. He said he had a horrible NFL season. That's with a two hundred thousand dollar win. Right. And I'm, I mean, I'm playing enough volume that that could be the case for me. I think in NFL, I could win $200,000 and still have a losing season. Um, yeah, so that's, it's impossible. I don't, I can't. I don't think it could have for me in NBA because I don't typically play enough volume just because the, the tournaments aren't enticing enough. Whereas the NFL, it's like they pull out these, you know, 250000 the first $333 entry. And I'm like, okay, that's not that high of an entry fee to win, potentially win 250000 And I get sucked into those a lot more in, in NFL than NBA. So I think NBA, uh, I'm going to have a winning season this year just based on the success I've had so far because I'm not going to play enough volume. Whereas NFL, I'm on the same page. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not playing the same volume that Travis Petty is, obviously, but I think that I could have a $200,000 win and not be profitable in NFL. Yeah, yeah, that, that 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 I that wouldn't happen with me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right. Well, also, also a lot, a lot of these sports like NFL, I'm playing you know more than half my volume in like you know cash games. Yeah. You know, I mean, like a lot of times, like when we're talking about volume, uh, like you're playing all 100 percent of your volume in GPPs, yet I'm still playing yeah. two. I'm still playing two thousand dollars in cash games and soccer on Saturdays. I'm still playing. Yeah. I still play 
you know, $1,000 or so play, uh, on FanDuel NBA, right? I played the because I still could play the $1 and $2 contest, so I just take advantage of that, right? So yeah. it's like when I say that I have like 2,000, 3,000 volume, in volume in play, like half of that is just like in a cash game lineup that I'll my in the money if I, I I'm a sixty percent win rate, like I'm good like like so it's right. like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna have minus ninety percent over the course of you know I'm not gonna lose you know two weeks in a row in cash games or anything like that it's more of oh right. a bad week is I only I, I only won two out of seven days right rather than five out of seven it's very rare that zero out of seven it could happen yes. Yeah. So that 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 goes into that, and also like, uh, the sports like showdown, like the formats, like showdown, uh, the variance is going to be. I mean, those are essentially winner take all contests. Yeah. Uh, so the variance, the the volume that you put into those, that it that that's that's the tough part for me, Neil. The edge in those contests is so much higher than the classic slates. <laughs> Yep. But the variance is is five times more. I mean, so you like, see great players go an entire season without winning, and, right. and that's just the way it is in Showdown. Like you're not guaranteed to win, even if you're making very plus EV lineups, because yeah, the variance is so high. Right, just like MMA. You started playing MMA. I saw. I did. I did. Right. I played and the you, past you had two a whole, weeks. Whole bunch of uniques, and you lost, right? <laughs> yep, I did. And then, and then I cut back my uniques uh, this week, and still lost. So right, but that's but that's a welcome to MMA. Right. Yeah. Right. This 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 past this past week in MMA, uh, I played seventy five lineups. I only had seven uniques and forty seven under fives. Uh, but I yep. it was it was in, it was almost it was semi intentional. Okay. Only because the the context of the slate meant that yeah I could play unique lineups if I leave two thousand on the table, but the likelihood of that type of lineup being the optimal is much lower on this past slate. Was that so? So two weeks ago, when I had uh, I think the most or one of the most uh, right. uniques, that was that was the I, I, slate. That was the fifteen fight card. Okay, and that one I set a salary cap of like forty eight eight hundred. So I left twelve hundred on the table. Right. And as soon as, as as Steve Buzzard tweets out that I had the most uniques, I was like, well, that probably means that I fucked up because I don't know anything about MMA. I don't know what I'm doing really. I, I've seen. I actually I think I learned that from Steve. I had studied some pros before and i'd seen on one mma slate that he left salary on the table so i thought okay maybe leaving some salary maybe this is like showdown where i need to be leaving some salary to be unique so that's when i i started part of my mma process is leaving money on the table but then when he when he said that i have more uniques than all these great players who actually play mma and know what they're doing i was like what you know, he, he says it as though this is a good thing for me. It's a pro that I have so many uniques. I'm sure uniques are good, but I'm like, that probably just means that I made lineups that aren't going to win. Right, is that, well, do I, you think that's, is that too much to leave on the table in that kind of a slate? No, 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 no. I, I, you, you can't think, your, your mindset has to be different. It's okay. not about leaving money on the table. It's about making unique lineups. And on a 15 sure. fight Agreed. card, there are, there, dude, I make unique lineups that spend all the salary. Okay, really? Right? So there are, there are lineups I mean, yeah, that I spend guess. 50K that are still unique. There are lineups at 49.7 that are still unique. Like, and there are lineups that are 49,000 that are duped 22 times. Yeah. Right? But like the, there's, there's no correlation in MMA. So it's all about right. when you're making lineups that are unique using the whole salary, you're playing some really low-owned fighters there. Right. But you can yeah. make those lineups. If you set a cap, you eliminate right. those possibilities out of your... At those lineup combinations. So, like on on on, slate, sure. on like a slate like that, I think on that slate for that that pay per view slate, 
I think I, I ended up with like 78 uniques and like 118 or something under five. Right. Okay. And I don't mind, like to me, since I don't mind the under five, like I'm ge- I'm, I'm gearing more towards the under fives than oh, the yeah, if you have under five, especially with the, I think it's 150 to first. Right. So, yeah. right. So, so I, I don't mind it as much. And it, it all depends on the con, like the probabilities of what the optimal will look like are very dependent on the, the betting lines of the, of the slate. So sure. my favorite slate, my, the slates that I prefer to play that I, I have no problem 150 are larger cards, obviously, because it's easier to make unique lineups and where the, the, the money lines between that are more condensed together. So I'd okay. much rather have a slate. My, the perfect in a perfect world, my best slate would be a 15 fight card where the most expensive fighter is a minus 200 favorite. Okay. Where, where the difference between the top guy and the middle guy, like the ninety not the ninety three hundred dollar guy is minus two hundred, and the minus eighty four hundred dollar guy is minus one thirty, and it's like because people still overvalue the favorite too much. I mean, right. people are like, okay, this guy has the best odds, and he's the favorite, so I'm gonna have I'm gonna jam him in, even though his odds aren't that great relative right. to what they might be on a different slate. Right, yeah, or yeah. the inside the distance odds. Right, we we have we have slates when there's a lot of close fighters. That means a lot more underdogs have a chance of of winning winning big. Yeah. And I could leave two thousand on the table in a lot of lineups. I mean, I've left twenty five hundred, three thousand on the table, depending on the slates, shorter slates, whatever, because the likelihood of that those lineups being optimal is much greater. When you have slates where where every fighter over nine thousand is minus three hundred and above, like it gives you so like it's hard to build two of underdog type of lineups because the the probability of them of that being optimal is so much lower. Yeah. Which means that the set that most likely two of the, if you have five guys over 9,000 that are like are projected to score very well when they win, most likely uh, two of them will. I mean, like just right. two of them will, you're going to have to get the one the, this may be a slate. Like I do poorly on the slates where only one underdog wins or only two right. underdog wins. Because that essentially raises the salary floor to like the optimal lineup will be, you know, the the four highest scoring uh, favorites and the two underdogs that won. And right. but that's a very common type of build because it's a forty nine five plus type of build, which means there's right. more likely to be dupes on that. Yeah. But then what 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 pros do? And I'm using that in air quotes. Is that in those slates, if you want to if, if you want to play high variance. You play that you play the four underdog type of lineups, and you hope this is a chaos slate. Uh, but if it's not, you're gonna you're gonna pretty much lose all your money. I mean, it's right. a, because the ties knock you out of catching spots, also. So yep. like it, on a slate where where the twelve fight slate and only two dogs win, if you're playing a lot of three four dog type of lineups, like you're essentially putting in you're putting in three thousand dollars and you're getting back four hundred bucks. Right. Right. And but. You have the potential if you do it the other way, obviously win a lot, but uh, the odds of that happening, I'm playing the same amount of money. Why won't I just save the, that volume for a slate that I think I have a bigger edge on? Sure. That, that's yeah, how, that makes that's, sense. So that's why this past slate, I'm like, I'll play 70, I'll play 75 lineups. And you said you, you won 50 max, the one before, the pay-per-view one? Yeah. Okay. So that one you really liked. Well, it's a 15-fight card. I, I did like... 
yeah, yeah. The more fights, the better. Like on on nine fight slates, I I almost don't even want to play. Yeah, only because this is yeah we've talked about that combinations. And so if if yeah. it's a nine fight card because of cancellations and the 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 heavy favorites are like minus four eighty and minus three seventy five, like I just don't even bother. I just I just don't yeah. even bother playing because like most li- this is the type of slate where a the the high scoring losing fighter will probably be in the optimal and the amount of uniques that are available to you in those scenarios is much much smaller yeah so, and, so and, there's no, there's no why why spend the money on those slates so i i don't view each slate as i'm going to max it i'm not going to max it i would think the same way in showdown like in showdown right. where we have teams that spread the ball out a lot more right yeah gives you more opportunities to have reasonably projected lineups that right. did more there could be oh there could be seven or eight possible captains that have a decent chance rather yeah. than a slate where the condensed offenses and it's like unless you're picking one of these three captains it's gonna be Devonte adams or it's gonna be aaron Rodgers or right. like, yeah there there's the packers are i think a great example of that the super bowl to me was not a particularly great slate in that there weren't any like great options that nobody was playing of course bryson hopkins then popped up because blanton got hurt so then bryson hopkins got all the volume and ended up being optimal but in general the super bowl to me was you know not a very fun showdown slate in that there was just not that much variance within individual players but on in in those scenarios wouldn't you wouldn't you agree that if you were playing smarter or smartly more smart versus regular (laughs) smart that that you'd adjust your volume based on those conditions. Theoretically, yes. So for me in the Super Bowl, I in football, I feel like you can also make decisions that are you adjust your construction. So like for example, uh, one thing that I recommended on shows was playing defense against quarterback. Like you can do things like that in football, where it's just like there are little negative correlations. Even if there aren't really low owned players, you can find correlations that are going to make your lineup lower owned that people aren't really doing. So that's just one example is playing quarterback versus defense but i mean still your point stands that yes theoretically you should be adjusting your uh your volume based on how much of an edge you think you have on a given slate i agree with you right like i I don't play for instance i don't play two game soccer slates anymore because number one i primarily play cash or you know the the small field gpps and just you're essentially playing two v twos i mean like it's yeah the, the two game slates like what, what, what's my edge there? I, I don't, so why would I, so it comes down to, do I want to play $2,000 on a 1v1 or a 2v2 with the, especially when the 2v2 includes the goalkeeper, the goalkeeper is like defense in football. So right. Yeah. You know, what the hell is going to happen there? Uh, so if I'm going to play, it's going to be low. It's going to be, I'll, I'll play $300 worth of, and then it gets down to, if I'm only, gonna, why am I waking up at nine in the morning? I just want to sleep then, right? Like then yeah. that's what it comes down. Like, yeah. I mean, it's like night slates for basketball. Same kind of thing. Right. You get to a two game night slate. I'm a lot less likely to play a two game night slate than a three game night slate. Same kind of deal. It's like, it's just so hard to make unique lineups that are still good sometimes in those really short or, slates. Or just put in a lot of volume knowing that you're essentially playing two be like the, the weaker players in the lobby don't get punished because there's only so many options to begin with. You're going to likely land up on on five of the best options in your lineup anyway. Yep, exactly. Right, like on a, on an eleven game NBA slate, like I, that's why I know on Wednesday, Wednesdays are your worst days. 
Uh, yeah. But to, those truthfully should be the days where you have the biggest edge over theoretically. weaker players. Theoretically. Yeah. You're giving you're giving weaker players more options. Yeah. But like. <laughs> I think you're talking mostly about weaker players who aren't using projections and optimizers. So like the weakest, weakest players. Right. But I feel like on an 11 game slate, the kind of mid tier players can still make really good lineups if they're using projections and things. Um, so it just makes it harder to. No, but I think well, 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 I think there's still an edge there also. I think you have an edge in in, the, in, in those scenarios as well from an ownership perspective. I find this is what I find. Sure. Uh, in in also and probably in baseball also, but of course we're talking stack based in in baseball. That like uh, comparing like a five game NBA slate to like a ten game NBA slate. So like for people that use projections, they go to use Osmo or Roto Grinders or ETR projections. Uh, they're gonna less likely to make projections based mistakes, right? But yes, a lot of but people that don't have a process to adjust for ownership will make dramatic game theory errors in large field GPPs. So when, when given more options, it condenses more ownership. So on a five game slate, for instance, you use this as an example, a five game slate and Trey young is whatever, 9,400 and he's chalk, right? Now he's the, the point point guard, whatever. You got John Morant at 10-1. You got Steph Curry at 10-4. You got uh you got you got uh Chris Paul at 9600 or something, and that's it. Because it's a five-game yeah. slate. So it's like, well, Trey Young's gonna be 28% owned, which is not like massive shock. But in right. comparison to the other players, you know, the other players may be eleven percent, eight percent, fourteen percent, because People that are using projections are most likely going to have Trey Young in a lot more lineups. But yeah. if you don't have Trey Young in your lineup, there's only four other options in that range for that position. Versus a ten-game slate, when now you're adding, you're at you're adding twice as many. So you end up with Steph Curry at one point seven percent. You end up one of those guys or two of those guys end up being like ridiculously owned for their ceiling. Yes, their projected median is three or four points lower than all the other ones. But because everyone's jamming projections, it's like, well, if they don't get Trey Young, they're going to get Chris Paul next. Then they're going to get John Morant, and then Steph Curry is one point seven percent, and he goes, he shoots, you know, eleven three pointers, and he has seventy eight fantasy points, and you go, right. how did I not see to play one percent on Steph Curry? It's like, because oh, there were more options to choose from, right? Which also, obviously, to ev- it makes it harder on everyone, but skillful players should. Ha- theoretically have more of an edge in the situations where it becomes harder for everyone. Yeah. Theoretically. Um, I think that it's also easier for me to visualize a small slate uh, and, and see what the field is doing wrong. But also I think, so in a large field, in the scenario that you just laid out, I think maybe my issue is that I spread out too much on a large slate. So I think on a, on a small slate, it's okay for me to spread out as much as I do because you're just not, uh, you're still not going to have, you know, 100 players in your player pool. I don't, I actually have no idea how many players are typically in my player pool. So that's just a number I'm throwing out there. But I feel like on a large slate, I'll, I'll end up on, you know, 4% of 1.7% on Steph Curry and he goes off and I still don't win anything because he's not in the lineups that do well otherwise. Whereas on a small slate, I end up having, I think, more shots at the players who are too low owned. So 
Yeah, but they're also more owned, though. But they're also True. more owned. They are more owned. Yeah, right. I think that I, I tend to be, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I, I'm not sure. And it could just be, I mean, it's not like I'm, I have a very negative ROI on Wednesdays. I was positive, I don't know, two months ago, whenever I posted that, when I was positive ROI every day. So I'm not far behind positive ROI on Wednesdays, but uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to pinpoint exactly what it is. But for me, I think that I have an easier time visualizing small slates and kind of well, figuring of course, out, okay, what are really the odds of, of this do. player? I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you on that. It, you're right. It is easier. It's easier. It's, yeah, it's yeah, easier right. for everyone that, that, like it feels it. What I'm describing is that the difference between feeling easier and mathematically being more profitable. Right, right, right. Yes. A large like let, take you know, we have an NBA, if we had an NBA slate, a 13 game NBA slate with 800 pieces of late news and injury stuff. You know, you know how not easy that is. That that that, that right. is like I don't feel comfortable in those scenarios. No one feels no one feels comfortable no. in those scenarios, but there can't be a bigger edge than a slate that's 13 games in the NBA with 14 stud players that may not play and, right. and adjusting for all of that. Like there's no, cause you have so many of them. it's on a four game slate with is Giannis going to play or not. And that's the only thing we're worried about. It's a little bit stressful, but once Giannis is out and you start jamming in holiday and Milton and Portis and all like, Anyone like yeah, it feels like oh my, I got an edge, but no, but everyone has like more of the field is going to jump on that. Sure, but effectively, everyone theoretically has that edge, but casual players are not taking advantage of that. So really, it's just other pros and, and serious players that are taking advantage of that kind of edge. Yeah, but but the larger the slate, the larger everything would make it your edge go up even more. Like if if sure if yeah. you're in the situation, I mean, I've played NBA slates where something happens in the late in the late window, the 10 o'clock game, and a guy that now is projected for 7X median, like, and I'm, and I end up being able to fit them into like 36% of my lineups, only because obviously I've, it depends on what slots are open, uh, and he comes in at like 7% owned, and it's like, if this was at lock, this guy would be 60% owned. Yeah. And he's now 8% owned, and I got 36%, like, to me, those but those are the best scenarios. But you're more likely to face those scenarios when there's larger slates. True. Yes. Yeah, so, I guess I don't disagree with you. It should be a bigger edge to play large slates, but it's still hard. I, but it's still hard. Yeah, it's still I, hard. I still understand yeah. that it's you still, still need to realize your edge. Yeah. Right. Well, of course. So, yeah. So maybe it's just a variance thing. Maybe you just haven't had as much luck on Wednesdays as I've had on Fridays and Saturdays. Right. But it's the same thing know. in MMA. Like in MMA. A fifteen fight card, typically, the the main event five rounder is over owned. Right. On an but on a ten get on a ten fight card, they'll be the main event may be the highest owned fight and 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 should be high owned. Right. But and but the main reason is because there's only ten fights versus fifteen. When there's fifteen fights and the main and the main event. Is uh, uh, an eighty-eight hundred, uh, seventy-two, uh, seventy-four hundred dollar fight uh, between two strikers, non-grapplers. Uh, like a lot of times, these fight because it's five rounds worth of points. The eighty-eight hundred dollar fighter gets to be like thirty-eight to forty-two percent owned, and it's like 
there are 14 other fighters that fights that could outscore right. this guy on a on a 10 fight card. Him getting 96 at 8,800 maybe fine. Only because there's only nine other fights. So, like, the mistake that you can make on a 10-fight card is much smaller because there's only there's only 10, there's only 10 fights. So, if, right. I'm trying to expand that to other sports. A 156 golfer field or whatever, much bigger edge than one of these no-cut 36 golfer, 24 right. golfer invitationals. Other yeah. than... Once it gets to that level, then the edge comes into being unique and not like you don't have an edge in anything else other than not making lineups that are duplicated. Like in the Super Bowl, there was a, there right. was a lineup that was duplicated, what, 3,888 times? Yeah. I don't know what the number is, but yeah, they, they get pretty crazily duplicated in the Super Bowl, which you'd think should be a bigger edge for players that don't make a lot of dupes uh and i guess the, the lineup that won the super bowl was only duped like four times so right, which would have been fine with me i mean i didn't play the super bowl yeah. showdown right good thing okay. I, I wouldn't have won so it wouldn't have mattered <laughs> you weren't gonna play bryson hopkins I'm, i mean who knows i i wouldn't I, I wouldn't have played 100 line i would have played 50 lines yeah, yeah and i'm not sure if i would have gotten to the second tight end right and and also playing t higgins without burrow in the quarter with playing a captain yeah. without their quarterback so the likelihood of me having that lineup is probably very small. Okay. Uh, See, I, I do that. I mean, I think that was that's an example. Like, like I said, of playing quarterback versus defense. I think that's another example of a way to get contrarian without playing. I do that though, bad ne- plays. Neil. I, I yeah, do yeah. that all the time. Because quarterback or uh, wide receiver captain without the quarterback. No, no. I, I, uh, uh, defense and quarterback together. Oh yeah, yeah. You both, only because of pick six. I mean, to me, it makes more sense. It actually makes. From a ceiling perspective. Right. There's like, it could be argued that, I mean, probably mathematically, I don't, I don't mathematically, know. Mathematically, it's negatively I don't know. correlated. But right. there are but like, outlier instances where the quarterback throws a pick six and then gets the ball right back and throws for an 80 more yards and a touchdown on the way back. So, exactly. Yeah. So, like, I, I don't mind that that much. No. But you don't do the, the wide receiver captain without quarterback? It, it, dep- it, depends, on the pri- it depends on the price of the, of the, of the okay. wide receiver. Sure. The high, the higher price wide receivers, are much more likely yeah. to have the quarterback. Cooper Cup. You're going to need Matthew Stafford because he's Matthew not getting Ryan. there without. Yeah. For him to be the highest. T. Higgins price, was borderline. Because, yeah, because he's so play. expensive. He needs to get 25 plus real life points times the 1.5, and for him to get that much, most likely Stafford threw for 303. So. Yeah. But if I'm playing the fight, if I'm playing Van Jefferson in the captain spot, I don't, I don't need, I don't need. Yeah, Stafford. you don't need Stafford. And T. Higgins, I would say, was right on the borderline there. He was he was cheap enough that I, I played him without Burrow in some lineups, but yeah. <sighs> so you've been doing doing the podcast rounds. I've been doing the podcast rounds. Yep, doing doing the hosting thing lately, which you know it's it's a little bit nerve wracking for me hosting, just because I feel like I have to put in so much more, and then I've got I go do like ad reads and stuff, which I is not natural to me at all. Uh, I'm I'm terrible at opening and closing. I found like I put all this work into like, you know, I, I watch all of the pods that somebody has been a guest on and like re-listen to things they've done in the past. I mean, I, I referenced your podcast with Petty several times in the episode. Uh, and I, you know, kind of learn a lot about the person. I prepare a lot w- with the questions and then I open it up and I'm like, hey, what am I going to say? I figure that out going in. What am I going to say to open this up? And then to close it out, it's just like, uh, I don't give it any thought. And then right at the end, I'm like, okay, well, thanks for watching. Have a good night. <laughs> it's like, what's it's wrong a, with that? There's nothing wrong with yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, it's not it's not natural the way some the way some hosts are, but something I'm working on. 
Yeah, but you you do you do all of that, and I, I have the complete opposite approach. <laughs> you mean where you close for a long time? You got a lot to say at the end, or what? No, no, no. As far as as, as far as preparation. Oh yeah. Okay. Like let like for like for this podcast, where it's literally you connect and I go, "Are you ready?" Yes, and that's a, there's no there's no Google Doc, there's no nothing. Yeah, yeah. We literally have no idea what we're going to talk about until. It's great for me. I, yeah, I come in just total total blank, no idea what we're going to talk about. Right, but you can do that for for, for for my show. I've been sending at least the the first couple of guests. I've sent them the day before uh, the questions or you know some of the topics I want to touch on, just so they're they feel a little bit prepared. But right, yeah, but I've I've been on shows and. Typically, when they asked that, I said, you could if you want, but you don't need to. Like, yeah. That's actually Travis. Travis told me, like, yeah, I've never actually been on a show where people sent me the questions ahead of time. So it didn't seem like it's something that people are really expecting, I guess. Well, well my, my attitude is that if you know the subject matter, there's no need to there's no need to, yeah. to do anything. But it's also – so I feel like I want to give people the opportunity to say, hey, I don't want to talk about that. I guess is part of the reason that I – send it to people because I don't know what the comfort level is in, in talking about process and, and neither, neither Alex nor Travis had anything that they didn't want to touch on. They were pretty willing to talk about everything, but uh, you know, maybe, just do it on the maybe show. there'll be some guests. There's yeah. A, they can just tell me on the show. That, but Neil, there's a value in that. Uh, I, well, at least from, from my, how, how I view, like how I, w- I want to present myself to the world. Like I consider myself very transparent, right? Yep. Right. I, I'm not faking transparency or anything. I mean, I don't, I don't feel like I am. Right. Right. But especially in this industry. Right. There are plenty of people that put on a front and who the fuck knows. Right. And we take a right. look and we get most likely they've been losing money for four years and no, no one. They think they're great. I mean, whatever uh, yep. that. Uh, I think I think you gain credibility by by asking the question, even if it doesn't get answered. That's fair. And maybe you learn something about what the guest doesn't want to answer. Maybe that's also. No, I don't care about that. It's more. It's more. It's more the fact, like, like if there's an elephant in the room, because I listen to other, po- like, I listen to political podcasts, and some politician sure. will be on, and there's something in the news that's uh, like so obvious they're going to be asked, and it's almost so obvious that they're probably not going to answer it, but it would make the host look bad by not even addressing it, because then it's like, how did you have that guy on the show for an hour and not even talk about X topic? And then if you said afterwards, well, we already agreed beforehand not to talk about it. Like, to me, that makes you look worse than just asking the question and have someone say no comment. But maybe well, this isn't a political podcast. <laughs> so, so I don't, yeah, I mean, no, no, I see your point, but I'm like, well, this is we're talking DFS. I don't know. It, I don't know. Easier what? flow it, if we don't. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. Maybe maybe that I have no idea. I've never done this before. So I I know that what, what podcast I've been on a couple podcasts where they sent me. Uh, the questions ahead of time. So I kind of, I'm like, I don't know if that's the industry standard outside of the theory of DFS podcast, which I know you're not going to send me any questions, but right. I don't know if that's expected generally, if people are going to be expecting me to tell them what I'm going to answer them. And maybe in some cases, it'll help them to have better answers prepared like so they can give us some thought and kind of, you know, thoughtfully respond to some questions. Right. Maybe we'll take a look at what I had chess is okay on. I fought back. I mean, I'm just, I'm, the, I'm, I'm yeah, I mean, you guys person. were, you were contentious a little bit. That, that was probably your most contentious episode, right. I would say. But even look well, at Lulz. Brian Hooper, Lulz. maybe. I feel like you guys were a little bit contentious politically, but yeah, but not, yeah, not DFS wise. Right. Yeah, yeah, not uh, DFS wise. Uh, and some of that is just for entertainment value, obviously. Yeah. Uh, when Brian had whistles on, like Brian yeah. was asking him real questions. And, and, and I don't think, I don't think David realized 
who he was on with or anything that he was going to get I don't asked think so those either. types of questions. But to me, there's value in like, why wouldn't Brian be asking those questions about, sure. you know, about, about the, the back end of his stuff and David going kind of being skittish on saying, because it's like, he doesn't want to give away exactly what he's doing, which is yeah. understandable. And Brian understands right. that, but it would make no, it would, if I watched that show and Brian didn't ask anything like that, it'd be like, why didn't like why why wouldn't you like just do that yeah. make make it be awkward? Yeah, and, and that's something that you'll maybe find on my show is that sometimes I don't know the right what like Brian knows how to talk about regression and like the the models that that whistles is working on. I'm like I'm probably not going to be asking a lot of those questions at least at this stage because that's not part of my process. I don't have my own models. I'm not doing regressions. I'm not doing simulations. So there uh, is interesting hearing them talk about that kind of stuff. Whereas if I try to talk about that stuff, I'll kind of be faking it a little bit because I don't, that's not part of my process. I don't really know how to do all of that stuff on the back end. Right. And I, I, I barely know it. <laughs> yeah. And you I, know more than I, I do, I think. But, right. And, and, yeah. I, 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 I don't find it worth the, the time currently to, right. to do it, to do it myself. That, that what, what I'm doing currently is not, is not worth it. And also on, on the, on the, the, the petty cast, uh, you high like I, I wanted to highlight that like Travis says I think this is, this is a very big misnomer because what he's saying is true but he doesn't realize what he's doing it's like he's doing it the right way without realizing that he is so like he talks about he he originates his own projections right yeah and that's why he doesn't care about ownership right because he's naturally going to be contrarian right. But what ends up happening is that, like, he'll have 60% of a guy that's 2% owned. Right. Right. Because, not because he saw that he was 2% owned and shouldn't be, but because his projections say that he should be in 60% of the lineups. But isn't that what he's, he's getting way more of a player that's more valuable because they're so low owned. It's just that his process doesn't have that number in it. Yet, if I had his projections... And didn't and looked at the ownership. I would look and go, well, this this guy should be twenty five percent owned, and is only going to be two percent owned. I want to have sixty percent of like it ends right. up being the same exact type of lineup with yeah. whatever projections you're looking. Like I said, make your own projections and then look at look at ownership, look at accurate ownership projections. You'd end up with that. Like it's like, oh, how come I ended up with thirty six percent of a guy that's five percent owned? Like, but so so that's that's a question that I asked Petty, and I I think the answer might actually be different for you. So he was saying that he might get he might see that the field is getting four percent of a guy that he got sixty percent of, and I feel like for me playing game theory, I might have played a hundred percent of that player if I was naturally getting to sixty percent just based on the projections alone. Right. And I saw the field was only getting to four percent. I might want to have a hundred percent of that player based well, on the game theory. Well, he would be he would be the highest individual plus EV player on the slate. So if you right. didn't if you didn't care about risk management, if you didn't care about tolerance, probably he would be the most optimal player from right. a relative value standpoint to be in your lineup. So if you want to play 100%, go go for it. But obviously, the guy fails, you lose all your money. So it, yeah, it really right. comes it comes down to a risk tolerance. That the exposures to me don't matter as much, but it's just a matter of like when he gets a lot of a player, it's he's not making the decision based on their ownership. But the leverage in their line in his lineups end up being properly leveraged because if he did make it because of the ownership, it would end up being the same 
way anyway. Right. Right. Like, yeah. like it, it, it gets to the same point. It's like, I, 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 a lot of times I fight back on people on typically average players that you, that have a, have the, the quote of like, there's many different ways to win in DFS. And I go, no, there's only one way to win in DFS. It's just as many different ways to get to that, to get to that. So like, it still comes down to making plus EV lineups right. and the types of plus EV lineups are way different. Sometimes this type of lineup wins and sometimes that type of lineup wins. You may not factor in ownership at all. You may only factor in own. You may not even use projections and then, right. and then go, I'm going to listen to a bunch of shows and play some people. I'm going to listen to all the shows and play the exact opposite of everyone. I'm going to fade that guy. Yep. Fade that right. Sometimes. Okay. You may be getting to a lineup that is just as good as my line. I mean, so there's really mathematically, there's only one way to win. But there's probably there's hundred ways to get to that, to any of those methodologies. You could hand build like when people say, "Oh, I hand I don't use the uh, the computer systems or whatever. I hand build my lineups." And I take a look at their lineup and I go, "That's a great lineup for the contest." Right. Says, yeah, but computer thought, probably would have made that one. Yeah. Right, but it's like, well, if I'm playing this guy, I'm not going to play that chalk player, and then I'm going to instead of paying up at center, I'm going to pay down at center. And next thing you know, I look at their lineup and it's like, if I did run this through my projections, it would be like. Like seven points off the off the optimal and fifty percentage points off of ownership, and I look at the contest size and I go, "This this, this is a lineup I would have made, yeah. right?" And I I still think that I would be better hand building lineups than using an optimizer. Like I think that I could hand build ten lineups that like over the long term are going to end up in the one percent. Like I mean, we've talked about this. Like before I started using an optimizer, I put a lot more lineups into that top one percent. Mm-hmm. And I think that's partially because I know how to hand build lineups. And I'm not quite at the point yet where I have the optimizer making the perfect lineups that I would hand build. Um, but well, I'm you still you know, ended up with close 16% enough. J. Michael Hasty for no reason. Right, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, that one was almost intentional, but right. yeah, it happens with other players where it's not even intentional and it just kind of right. happens because yeah, I it's, I'm not as good with the optimizer as I am hand building. Well, what, what, how I do that, I, I, I always do it to solve that is that I, I, I do auto exclude and I only include the players that I want to include in lineups. Sure. Yeah. I could, I could X off players. Right. And I typically, I only get to at least many lineups of players that I do want. And to Michael hasty was one. And, and the other, the, the other example was uh, St. Brown, Equinemia St. Brown, maybe, or, or yeah. Jawan, Juwan Winfrey. Winfrey, right? Yeah, th- those were examples of players that I was intentionally trying to get to. Some it was just that some of my late adjustments took me from having like two or three lineups of each of them to having like fifteen percent or w- whatever right. I ended up at. So it was yeah. So I don't typically get to a lot of players that I don't want any of. It's just I might get to a lot more of players that I really don't want to have more than a few lineups of because I screw something up. Right, and I I I, I, I removed that type of possibility by doing it. By excluding players, I, I just, it's not most likely most of the players that near 99% of the players that I exclude are are players that I probably are not going to get into my lineups anyway, but I don't even want to have the, in the back of my head of having to look and go, why do I have, why do I have one lineup with this guy that only is going to play 16 minutes? Right. Like, and it just, it's one of my lowest lineups and it just fit. And it, like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be put in that situation. I'm actually more likely to do that in baseball than in basketball. Sure. To include those players? Oh, no, no. Yeah. In in in, 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 baseball, it's very very common. People think I'm nuts in the Roto-Grinder Discord 
especially when baseball season starts up. We get some newer players or players that don't play baseball where I'll play a sl- I'll play 100 lineups on a slate and I don't even I, some guy will hit a home so the seventh hitter or some team will hit a home run. Oh, yeah. And I don't even know if I have them. I just like yeah. like I think I have four Tigers stacks but I may also have them in as three one-offs in some other line. Like I like I literally don't I literally don't like I know that I don't have a lot of this person because I would right. know that, but it's like I could have them in three lineups. I could have them in seven lineups. I could have them in zero lineups. I literally yeah. have no idea. Me too. Because yeah, baseball, baseball I definitely the, the, I get the, to the, players. The range. Of I see a player hit a home run. Players. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone yeah. could that could happen. So I don't mind. Right. Some yeah. random seventh hitter or some you know thirty four hundred dollar outfielder that hit, bats eighth on the road for some team. It's okay, if he fits in, he fits yeah. in. Sometimes I'll look, I'll see a player hit a home run, and I'll be like, oh, I don't even know who that guy is. I bet I don't have any. And I'll go look at my fantasy crunch, and I'm like, oh, I've got 8%, and the field only got 2%. Right. So that was great. Right. Yeah. I remember an opening day last year. Like, Akil Badu hit that home run. He batted, like, yeah, ninth yeah. for the Tigers. I'm like, I've li- I don't even know who this guy is, but I have him in two lineups. <laughs> yeah. But in baseball, great. I'm more likely to not do it because and, and on any given day, anyone could anyone could score double digits in baseball. Yeah, you know, one swing of a bat, and even in yeah. only three at bats or two at bats, they're a platoon or something like that. But right. in basketball, it's very hard for a guy that's projected to play twelve minutes to be yeah. any relevance Rumble's on the slate. Right. Once in a blue yeah. moon, blow, complete blowout. They play the entire fourth quarter, and they they have a three fantasy point per minute performance in that fourth quarter. Like he's most likely going to be point three percent owned and not in the optimal lineup anyway. The winning two right. people. So why, why even bother? So I, that, that's why I don't yeah. mind xing out, xing out those players. The only maybe I x out in baseball uh, teams against uh, uh, stud pitchers that are, that are that are like that, full teams. Yeah, full. Yeah, just full teams. Well, a lot, remember, I'm playing less lineups. Yeah, yeah. So like, if I, I just like I don't I don't even want to have to worry about this team. The likelihood of Yes, he. That, this person can hit one home run off of Jacob Degrom. You're right, he could. But I'm I'm looking for team. I'm how many people are going to be on base, right? How many like it's a it's a 14 game MLB slate. Why do right. I have any of the Pirates against Jacob Degrom? Like they, they just yeah. exit out and don't even like. Most likely they're not going to show up in my lineups anyway. But you yeah. never know. I get a you know fucking Kevin Newman's in the line. Why? Because he filled the shorts. He was a $2,200 shortstop, and he was rejected for 4.8, and it fit into yeah. that lineup. And I'm sitting there going, like, what the fuck is he going to do? Right? Like, yeah. So maybe maybe it's, it's because I, I play 100 lineups. I don't really ever X out teams or X out players. Like, say, or I, I rarely X out and say, I want zero of this player. That's not something that I typically do. But also, on a 14-game slate, I just... I'm probably not going to get there anyway. Like, right. you know, using the projections, is not going to put that player in my lineup typically. So not right. something I have to worry, worry about. Well, that's, that, well, that's what, the, I mean, that's what I said before. I said most 99% of the time, these players aren't even going to end up in my lineups. Yeah. But for the 1%, it's just peace of mind. It's just like, I don't have to worry about looking for weird things and any, like just get out of here. Right. Certain yeah. pitchers, right. A pitcher is a, it's a bullpen game and he's going to pitch three innings. Like, and he's 4,000. Like, just get out of here. Just like, I just, I don't even, there's going to be some way because it's obviously in the top portion of your lineups at a highly higher projected. You're not going to get any of these guys, but once you start adjusting for ownership 
And it's like like these 1% owned pitchers that only have a 75 pitch count for 4,500 end up getting in there. And it's like, like, yeah, I guess, I guess that could be in the winning GPP lineup, but he's not even eligible for the win. If he pitches only four in like the ceiling isn't even there. It's like yes, yes. The guy has a the pitcher has a median of of, of seven and a half points for forty five hundred, and it, and now I, and if I use him, yes, I could stack the Yankees at Coors Field for six thousand dollars a hitter. But is yep. that is that the type of lineup that I want to make? Probably not. So if I can't envision any lineups that have this player in, I just rem- I just I want to remove the possibility that I find it. Do I? Yeah. Would I get burned every so often? Maybe, but most of the time. Most of them, these players just don't make. Like people ask me in the Discord, it's like, "Oh, so you you only include the players you want to play?" It's like, I know, I just x out stuff that, like, I decidedly don't want to even have to deal. I'd rather have my player pool, uh, show forty eight players for NBA than show two hundred and forty, and then have to worry about some weird shit going on, right? right. And then if projections change, then I look at the excluded list. Did anyone bump up that I have to add now? Add. Okay. Yeah. And then you have in baseball, uh, you know, the the, the players that uh, get added like in the last minute. Like, oh, yeah. Right? Because it's like, oh, this guy replaces this guy. And it's not yep. in the line. Like, it depends on what optimizer you use. Yeah. But every, every one of them for baseball, there's some, gl- there's some glitch. Yep. You got to like redo all of your stacks in mm-hmm. Fantasy Cruncher some of the time. Yeah. It's. Right, it's frustrating. Can be because if they because the, the 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 batting order gets gets released, and then either the projections are not up, either the batting order gets updated, but the projections aren't. So you have basically a uh, six hitter has a zero projection, which means they end up in none of your stacks because it doesn't project for yeah. anything. Or the projections update, but not the batting order. So now the batting order has a guy that's not in, not that's zero and. Not even in, and the guy that has the eight point projection is not in the batting order, and or sometimes they're in, but it's not like confirmed, which means it's not going to end up in your stack. I mean, that all, yeah. all, and it happens typically very, very close to like to lock, right? Type of they typically these are the types of things that take somewhere between three to five minutes to settle. So normally, when this happens at five thirty in the afternoon. It doesn't matter, right? But okay, yeah. when the Dodgers lineup comes up at, at three minutes before lock and you're building a lot of Dodgers stacks, you're going to need to know if uh, if Chris Taylor is in or Gavin Lux is in. And if they're if they're in the batting order, in the optimizer, so that when you have the five-man stacks, it treats it as part of it rather than right. nothing. Right. These are the perils. Uh, baseball season. Are we even going to have a baseball season this year? I hope the fuck. I, I don't fucking like basketball <laughs> i like basketball but i still i really enjoyed baseball last year it's a uh, it's a it's much less stressful for me than basketball in general and i appreciate that yeah but b- baseball is you know once lock hits most most nights not much more you have to do right the, the stress i think the 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 main stress of baseball is obviously the west coast lineups you have madden who never never gets it in in time yeah uh but worst case scenario you do some late swaps and like i'm not you have plenty of time because the lineup will come out at like 30 minutes after lock but the game isn't until 10 o'clock so it's like right it's not like you have to rush in and do anything uh no. the only other stress would be uh uh do what what considerations you make for rain out potential sure yep so do you play this game do you not play this game 
right? And then you have, and then if it's a later game, then you can do late. Then you know it's an it's an eight ten Eastern game, and it gets PPD'd at seven forty, and it's like right. okay, now now we could rip out all of our all of the lineups and whatever whatever like that. But in baseball, since it's so stack oriented. Like rebuilding in in baseball to me is almost easier than NBA. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. I so I I struggle with my baseball process because I like to use late swaptimizer and that works great just doing individual players in NBA because it's so projections based. In baseball, if I use late swaptimizer, I have to kind of worry about losing all of my construction. Like I, you know, be prior to lock. I set stack rules so that I'll get certain amounts of different stacks. Mm-hmm. And I, after lock, I don't want it to be quite as rigid when things change. So you got to kind of be thoughtful about the way you change your right. settings in fantasy cruncher. But, uh, so it's, I don't know. It's, it's a different game, I guess. Right. But I mean, I don't uh, And sometimes I'll just do it manually. Like if it's, right. a, if it's a type of thing where this game is projected to probably rain out, but I may play five, five, and a lot of times what I do uh, is games that have a significant enough postponement risk, I'll just play stacks only. Right. So I don't yep. play one-offs. Like if the Red Sox, if the Red Sox play, they have a six total and whatever, and the wind's blowing out and I'd love to play them, but it's like a 40% chance of rain. I mean, like this is, this is iffy, but their ownership is going to start going down because of that. So right. if they do get this game in, this is a nice spot, but maybe I'll, I'll I'll play I'll play them in ten out of my hundred lineups. But I'm not going to have Xander Bogarts as a one-off shortstop. It's going right. to be exactly. So worst case scenario, if this game locks and then postpones after that, I pretty much burn ten lineups instead of possibly burning forty lineups because I got Red Sox players as one-offs in all this all these other lineups. But then in that scenario, I could just go to my ten lineups. Let's say the game postpones a half an hour before. I just go to the. T- I can manually go to those ten lineups and go True. take out the Red Sox. What team fits here, right? Yep. And maybe the not, maybe it's not a five man stack. Maybe four of them fit here, and I add another one off. Or sometimes right. I will just if if I want to do it faster, I'll go in the CSV, and I'll just import those ten lineups into the late swap tool, and right. then so it doesn't affect any of my other lines. So I'm not late swapping everything else. Just that, yep. and then just say, give me get what what and just what five man stacks fit in there, and yeah. it'll give me what, and then switch the pitcher or whatever like that, and I'm like okay, I'll take whatever five man stacks that are currently available to me in these eight o'clock games, or and then whatever fits in fits in, and yeah. that's it. And if it does, and if it so gives me an error, then I go okay. How about four man stacks and a one off? And if I do four man stacks and a one off, it always finds like I'm then I never yeah. have a problem. So I think that's, I need to get better at using Excel because I, I don't know that I know how, how to much do Excel. You just delete the rows. Oh yeah. Yeah. I could do that. Sure. But, oh, yeah, just download your CSV. Look, you're playing them only in stack. Remember you're playing, this is a team that you're playing only yeah. in stack. So you just look for the Red Sox stacks, right? Yeah. Okay. You I sort, know how to do that, I guess. Right. You sort sure. it and then you just get rid of the 140 other rows and then you input yeah. that CSV in. How much Excel do you need? Yeah. I guess not. You're right. <laughs> right? You're right. I could do that. Right, that that's probably. I thought you were thinking. There's probably. I thought you were describing something to, that's quicker than that. There's probably there probably is something that's quicker, but I don't. Yeah, I'm sure there is. To me, to yeah. me, I do it the more exact. Like I know this will work instead of me making a function that I end up fucking everything up. So it's just yeah, like, exactly. 
I'll just delete this shit out of the CSV so it can't even touch it. Like you had that discussion with the cash game lineup. It's like anytime I right. play cash games, whenever I download the CSV for late swap, I just look for my cat the cash and I just delete the rows. Right. But right. that so takes I a little just, bit of time. Yeah, whenever to I upload all it, it doesn't even affect that fucking lineup. Right. But I mean it's not like that doesn't take any time. You still gotta go through and find all the all of the rows that have that lineup in it. Yeah, but it's always in it's always in order. When DraftKings it is. Yeah. But it takes a lot of time to click through those individual lineups. Yeah, but they're all the same lineup. I could just sort by that lineup. Okay. Maybe right, there's a way. Head, I, there probably is a way to do this. I'm in playing two hundred head to heads and all. So it's all these rows have the same th- right. It's the same exact fucking thing. So just sort by that row. Yeah, I think I top, actually could do this. Right, and then just delete, breakdown. and then just there you go, delete, and just highlight them all, and press the fucking delete key. Yeah. Then you save, and then all you right. bring that into CS. It's not. It's, dude, One I'm less not excuse, that great I in guess, Excel but... either. I mean, I. Yeah, right. <laughs> you make it sound like it's that that complicated. Yeah, I guess it's not that complicated. It's right. just something I've never done before. So it seems complicated until right. you do it. Right, until you do it. Right. Yeah. Okie doke. So do we, we have to. I can't believe I'm the one teaching someone else how to use Excel. No, you don't need to. You just, I mean, what you've taught me is that I don't need to use Excel, which is even better. Right. So I appreciate that. Right. But I'm on with James. Like, James the Pool knows a yeah, million yeah. things about Excel. He knows everything about Excel. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and he talks to me and he looks like I'm, I'm the caveman. And you know, yeah, he, he's the one who told me that you're definitely a boomer, and now he's going to watch this, and he's going to think I'm a boomer, which might be fair. Given my given no, my Excel not. skills, we're technically not. No, we're not. I had somebody, I had somebody in my DMs recently uh, presume that I was Gen X. I was like, "How old do you think I am?" I, I always think that Gen X is like 55 plus at the time. And then I look, I'm like, "Oh, I'm actually not that far off from Gen no, X." You're, not that far you're, you're Gen X, right? You are Gen I'm X. I'm re- very late tail, right, right at the very end. Yeah, yeah, like and I'm right on the border. Like, I'm technically an elder millennial, is what they call me. Right, well, <laughs> but that, I'm pretty that, close to being. Technically, I would be that also, right? Well, you're you're before ni- uh, 1980, right? I'm 1979. You like 79? What are you? I think 1980 is the cutoff, so I'm 83. Right. So then, what the hell? I mean, right. yeah, there's no actual real <laughs> difference here. I'm just saying, technically, the cutoffs is is 1980 is a cutoff, and I am on the elder millennial side of that right. cutoff, and, and you I'm, are on I'm the on the very Gen young side Gen X cutoff. side, right? Yes, right. Right. I'm a very young gen. It's it. This is this question is very similar to when people ask me like, what's the diff? What's the size difference between small small field and large field? And right. Size. It's like there's no. It's a spectrum. It's like like the concept right. is the larger the field, you know, the higher the score, the more leverage you need, the lower the like. But there's no like, like oh, four thousand nine hundred and ninety nine entries. That's small field. Five thousand entries. Large field. Right. Like right. like exactly. all of a sudden. No. No. It's, those two contests would you treat the same pretty much. One yeah. entry Which, is not going to make a difference. I will say that was what one of the more interesting things that I talked about with Petty was hearing him say that uh, factor it in blowouts. He does it from 1.0, which makes a lot of sense to me now that I think about it. Like, yeah, you factor it in. It's just scalable that you factor it in more, the more points in the spread. But right. uh, just like that's not something to me. I don't factor in a blowout typically the way that I think about it. If it's a one point spread, I'm not thinking about the blowout potential like like you probably should. I think that's I already being factored into the awesome projections anyway. Yeah, sure. It is. Yeah. I'm sure. So you're already, yeah. you're already doing that. Yeah, true. Right. They're doing it for me. Right. The one thing that But sometimes on like a on like a two or three game slate, I do like think about it more, the the spread. And uh, I think that's a really unique way to think about it is scalable. Right. That's not a boomer way to think about it. 
Not at all. My parents are elder, boomers. Elder millennial. Right, right, mine too. Yeah. Like that's what I'm saying. When people like it, I think now it's just being used as just a general like Yeah, it's it's a pejorative. It's it's not a it's not really your age anymore. It's not about right. your generation. It's about your technical savvy, I think. But more not than even anything. Or, or your, your mentality. Right. You're out of touch. You're you have an older out of touch. You don't like touch. Bitcoin. You don't believe in Bitcoin. You're a boomer. Right. You know, right. it's kind like, of right. Yeah. It's always that type of shit. Yeah. Like, right. It's like like, oh, 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 you're like technology. It's like, dude, I've been I I've been into technology before some of these people are born. Right. I'm not the out of touch person, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh well, not helping you your case for not being a boomer though, saying that. Right, yeah, because only boomers would say that. Right. Well, I mean, saying that you've been in technology since before people were born is just well, yeah, ma- making you sound making you sound a lot older than you are. I was using the internet before Davis Baddock was born, and we're wow. only we're only like thirteen years apart. Right. Okay. So you started pretty young then. Right. I was calling BBSs on my Commodore sixty four when I was like nine or ten years old. My parents had no idea what, what was going on. I'm just plugging stuff into the phone. Right. <laughs> Go get go get my 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 pirated games or whatever on BBSs in the fifth and sixth grade, right? And then oh, but you don't you don't get blockchain technology? No, no, of course not. No, how would I possibly understand technology? Being I've seen it and I've worked in the tech field. That that's that's my main counterpoint to uh to 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 crypto and NFTs. Anytime anyone tells me this time it's different, I go, yeah, I've lived through all those times. I've lived through all yeah, the times where you you've lived something. all those other times, and this right. time is different. Right, but all those other times, you know what people said? This time it's different. <laughs> sure. Right. So, so all the but sometimes metaverse. it is different. Right. I mean, dude, I've lived through about... the metaverse, dude. Fucking Second Life. They were talking about metaverse shit fucking twenty years ago. Right. Oh, right you're this talking time, about stuff I don't this know. This time about. it's different. This time it's different. <laughs> That's what I well, say when I, that's what I say when I when I build bad DFS lineups. Right? When someone's like, "Why did you build so many bad lineups?" So this time, this time, this time it'll be different. Right. Yeah. I mean, we we talk about this in in fantasy sports though too. There'll be players who are, there's never been a player who went from being having these numbers to being a great player the next year. And then sometimes it happens. It's only you know, it's like records are meant to be broken, right? Same right. kind of thing. Like, sure, it's always we say this time is different. Well, eventually, sometime it's going to happen where it is different, right? Like that, it does happen eventually. Yeah, but not ne- not necessarily on your time frame. Sure, true. Right. Doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean that this time it is different. It just means there is a possibility that this time it is different. Right. <laughs> so, so what I'm saying is that uh, you got to sell all your apes. Do you have, do you have any? I don't have any apes anymore. You don't have any apes? Oh, I wish I had you apes. Sold, you, sold, you sold it? Oh, I sold my apes. I sold my apes at the worst, not the worst possible time because I made good money on them, but I sold right before uh, Steph Curry went and got his ape, and okay. then uh, they announced the the mutants that they were giving out, so I lost out on a lot of money with the timing of my selling of my last ape. I lost out on mutants. I, I eventually then, I bought a mutant for cheap and was able to flip that too, but I didn't get the free mutant. So do you still have? A lot of money. Do, you, do you have anything? Uh, NFTs or yes, I have. I still have plenty of NFTs. Did, I still did any of yours hot. got stolen? Apparently, what uh, didn't? No. From OpenSea I, or whatever. 
to be honest, I still don't even really know uh, what happened there. I, th I think it was people who, it sounded like people who like manually migrated their things on open. I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. So pretty sure I'm safe if it's something that you're doing manually on OpenSea. Because right. I don't you, do anything you, you know, complicated. You know what people say when you say that? That means it's still early. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's still early. It's still early. Yeah. Didn't you, didn't you, didn't you say that for, uh, for DF, you, you had the conversation on your podcast about, you know, is there still an edge? Like, as far as, you, you know, you feel like, you, oh, as far as DFS, right? Like you said, Alex is scaling back some of his play, right? Brian saying yeah. that uh, maybe 115 is not optimal anymore. And, you know, and you ask Petty, like, is there an, like what he's looking to go on and to do other things possibly, and you're like, well, right. I don't. You're, you're sitting there like, like chill, cheery eyes. Like I just, I just quit my job. I think everything's. Yeah. Everything, I mean, no, I. Fine. These are these are some of the sharpest players in the game talking about. But Alex's Alex's stance is that there is still an edge, and Petty's stance. Okay, so Petty's stance was, I still think there's an edge because of the way I play, because he plays such a unique mm -hmm. style that other people can't replicate it. So that's not something that I can really uh, take much solace in. And then I think Brian's the only one of that group who's actually saying, like, I think there's a diminishing edge. But I think the point that he made was actually, like, he wouldn't necessarily recommend new players come in. And maybe that doesn't mean players that are already having success should step away. It's just it's uh, there, there's such a steep learning curve that maybe it's not the right time to jump into DFS. Um, and it also might be just maybe there is diminishing returns on players at his level. So, like... Mm -hmm you can't count on making as much money as you were previously, but I'm sure he's still making good money. It's just maybe not quite as much as he once was. And I, I have no idea if that's true. He might still be making as much money as ever. I just think maybe because the, as he would say, the, the floor has been raised so much. So maybe that takes away some of the profits from the highest end, but then maybe there's still enough edge for enough different people that we can still make money. Right. I still think there's that. I still think so. I mean, yeah. At the, at the at the at the lower stakes, at the larger field stuff. I mean, I mean, dude, I, I there are plenty of people. I mean, I'm not in the, I'm not in the, the awesome Slack, but I am in the Roto Grinders Discord. I am in a bunch of discords, you know, around the industry, uh, and people that would be in a discord from sites that are subscription based, right, are like like are are not, are not the normal people, right? They're still right. people don't realize they're still. Tons, 90% of people that play DFS may not play every day, but they make up the ones and twosies into all these contests. Uh, but even in the conversations, there's still, there's still people that like, why, why are you subscribed to Roto Grinders if you're not even going to bother looking at the projections? Right. Like, like so like, these are people that I'm going to pay for content and then not use it. Right. There right. must be, comp I mean, especially during a slate, Oh, projection must be off. Oh, this is garbage. I mean, it, it's total tilt fest everywhere. Yeah. And not understanding what the tools are. Like, uh, oh, well, the it was an 18% chance of the, being the top stack. And now it's the sixth inning. They only have one run. It's like, right. yeah, because 72% of the time they're... Right. 82% of the time they're not the top stack. I mean, like... like yeah. It's pretty simple. the top stack doesn't mean... <laughs> like Yeah. Like just it's like you explain it that way. Oh, I, and that's, like, I mean that's that's exactly why I think you and I are on the same page that there will always be an edge because there's always you know fifty percent of people are the the lower half of intelligence, right? Right. <laughs> so it, it's, it's, I just think that there's always going to be Neil of the fact of you have the people that don't use any 
tools, right? That don't that are still stuck in, you know, they're just randomly choosing stuff. Uh, and then you have the people that do have access to good information, good tools, good projections, and then just don't use them. Right. And just simply just don't like just. Well, what is this supposed to tell me? Like, or they or yeah. or they do use it and they don't understand. Like, they. They go. Oh, give me, give me 150. I'm gonna set. I'm gonna set 150, uh, one unique player per lineup, and jam in. And and I'm gonna have 100 percent of this guy and 98 percent of that. Like, you just build 150 cash lineups. Right. Way to go. Yeah, you're wondering why you're bleeding money. Like, oh yeah, but I only lose like 10 percent. Honestly, yeah, yeah. You're, that's. Yeah. You're never gonna win. You're probably never not gonna win, unless you know. As, uh, yeah. Sometimes maybe those people win right away. Like sometimes I think people can win right away using that kind of approach where they're not putting a lot of their own manual uh, adjustments to it and just win a lot of money by using the 150 optimal that nobody else is doing anymore. And they, you know, it is still a high projected lineup and then they just, it doesn't work over time. I think, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just speculating that there, there seem to be sometimes people come in and it's like, I just signed up for the tools and I immediately won a hundred thousand dollars and then they, you know, fade out over time. And I'm like, is it because you just won with the optimal right away? Like the lineups that most of us don't play, like sometimes those are going to win and they're probably not going to be duped. So maybe it does work sometimes. Well, I mean, it also not. depends on what, what source, like if there's big discrepancies in the industry, then those lineups would, would have leverage. That's true. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with, uh, with Travis, with like, if your projections are dramatically different than, then other people's you're gonna you're gonna have a lot of a guy that may no one have. I mean, like, yeah. And that happens. That happens on oldest. I mean, that. But that's that. That's what I'm looking for. So that's that to me. That's the arbitrage of what my skill set is. Of I come start from the ownership side. Of let me look at Roto Grinders. Let me look at Awesome. Let me look at ETR. Let me look at Daily Roto. Let me look at and then see. It's like okay, well we have this guy for 28 minutes, and ETR has him for 32. And Osimo has him for 31. And this side has him for 31. It's like, well, anyone that's using Roto-Grinders projections uh, is not going to get as much of this guy. And he's right. going to be higher owned than what this number says here. Like, we have right. him at 12%. He's going to be 18 because of that discrepancy because I'm looking at all these other projections and we're the low yep. person. It's like, do I do I either adjust the projection and go, let me be in line with everyone else, or I adjust the ownership? And then once I adjust the ownership, I get none of the guy. Right. Right. Because now now instead of him being twelve percent, I'm putting him up to eighteen, and his projection is lower than all these other play. Like, but that's where the that's where the arbitrage comes in. Do you even it out? Do you like you have to adjust right. what? And then depending on the source, you have to adjust the ownership based on that. So depending right. on the sport, like ETR for football has the m most dramatic effect on ownership, at least right. when it comes to like a slant type content. You've told me this, yeah. Right. So if some run, whatever, you know, they have someone three, three and a half points higher in football than like Osimo and RG and everything like that, it's like either I have to put up the projection or raise the, I got to raise the ownership. Like, even though, even though ETR would say, oh, this guy's going to be uh 20% owned. And RG says 14% and Osimo says 12%. And I'm like, no, he, this guy could be 24% owned. 
right? Because then people are also taking the projections and misusing them, and they're going to be jamming this guy in if they're using ETR projections. Right. Not considering that that 20% ownership may be a little too much for him to begin with, right? right. So, like, like that, that entire, to me, that's, I say, I say that's the edge, but that's, like, that's how I play. Right. So it's very similar to Travis saying, it's like, well, I don't, I don't consider ownership at all. And my edge is that I watch the games and I get the rotations and minutes better than anyone else in the industry. So I don't yeah. have to worry about ownership. And I'm saying I could get the ownership so good and so much better than anyone else in the industry that I don't necessarily have to care about three or four minutes. Like I'll let everyone else do that. Like that, I don't have to worry about that. So as long as I get the yeah. ownership right, I should be good. Right. So, so one other thing that Travis said that I didn't bring up in my interview with him, but he said this actually on his last show with you about ownership um, that I thought was interesting and made me think that maybe he is factoring in a little bit unintentionally in another way is that he said that he sometimes looks for discrepancies more for the higher owned guys. So, so the guys that are getting a ton of ownership, he said he will look closer at their minutes. I think it is, is a note that I took watching his show with you. So then that made me think that maybe he, you know, in some ways takes in factors in ownership a little bit, just in terms of what he's looking at in terms of finding different minutes, minute projections. No, well, for I, 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 I don't necessarily, but he's not using that for game theory purposes. He's using that for, right, right. for, 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 it's more of a margin of error thing. It's like, yeah, yeah. would you rather, if, would you rather be more correct, more act, more precise on the minutes and fantasy point per minute projection, whatever projection on a guy that's going to be 1% owned or 50% owned. You might right. rather be more correct on the 50% owned guy because that's going to matter right. so much more for your contest. So if but then it unintentionally on factors guy, it in. Not, no one has him. Yeah. So if he sees but around the it... industry, so if, if Travis sees around the industry that like, oh, everyone's, uh, this, this guy's going to be like 40, 50% owned, then he would be like, okay, now I need to make sure I have this right. So maybe he, he has the guy at, tw- at 29 minutes and everyone else has it at 34. And he's yeah. like, because I'm not going to have much of this guy in comparison to everyone else. I need to make sure that my 29 yeah. is 29. Maybe because maybe it's 31 and he still gets less of them. But yeah. he has to make sure. But if, if it's a 1% on guy that he has projected for 26 minutes and everyone else has 18 minutes, like, is it going to matter? Yeah. Is it going to, how much, how much is that going to affect Especially when he, if he's under, if he has right. 18 but, and everyone else is 26, but he's only. But my point is that owned. even though he's not playing an ownership style approach, it's it still factoring in ownership because he's looking at it closer. Right. So it's, it's still coming into play for Travis, even though he's not playing an ownership style approach. And I don't know that how, how often he actually looks at it. It was just something that I took note of. He, he mentioned that in his interview with you, that he'll look at it closer for the higher owned guys, which makes you think, okay, so it is, it's factoring in at least, uh, it, through the back door. Like it, it is coming in a little bit in the way he approaches a slate, but, even if it's not his primary concern. Right. But I, but I view, I view ownership the same way for me. Like I'm it's right, right. more important yeah. for me to get the high owned players more precise than the low owned. I don't, the difference between a guy being 2% owned and three and a half percent owned. I don't care. Right. A guy being, Oh, I have him at seven. He kind of came in at 4.8. Yeah, in terms of raw numbers, it's not that right. Many it, I, I don't care as much. A guy that yeah. I have projected for thirty-five percent ownership that only comes in at seventeen, I'm I'm way off. I'm too off. A guy that I sure. have at fifty-four percent ownership that ends up coming in at seventy-eight, like 
I need to make yeah. I need to make that has to be as as precise as I could get it. Because those discrepancies matter so much more than well, is the guy gonna be three percent or two percent? Like Right. It 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 does it's not gonna make that much of a difference. A lot of times, truthfully, the difference between two percent and eight percent doesn't even matter. Like right. in the single digits, like it, a lot of times, the single digits like literally don't matter, don't matter at all because it doesn't make up enough of your lineup. And typically, those types of players are not projected well enough that they start getting jammed in anyway. So it's like right. these are the filler type of things. So if I have a guy at eight percent that ends up being two percent, like I end up if I were to play one hundred and fifty lineups. Uh, if I were to play a hundred lineups, he at at eight percent ownership, he ended up in three lineups. At two percent ownership, he would have ended up in five lineups. Right, like it's not that dramatic. But if I have an eight percent owned guy, a guy that's that's eight percent that ends up being thirty percent owned, like I have the eight percent owned guy in like sixty of my lineups. When if I had him at thirty percent owned, he'd only be in eighteen of my lineups. Right. Right. So like I need, so it's very, yeah. but it, but that's the difference between approaching the game from one side or the other. I'm never right. going to make my own projection, but I am going to look at the discrepancy around the industry of, of why, like, especially when there are outliers where I'm going to look and I go three sites have it one way. And one side is dramatically different is either if one is one of them, right. And three of them, who's right. And who's wrong. And should I just have the difference? Or should I disregard one? And then how does that affect ownership? So like really, but it it, it rarely, I rarely get into situations where I'm doing that that dramatically. All, typically it's in the cases where like, uh, there's no historical, it's like three guys are out for a team and okay. like they're bringing in G leaguers, like those types of things where yeah. like we're not, we're probably not going to even have a glimpse of how they're going to, do anything until we even see the starting lineup. Right. Right. It's one of those things where you just like, this is how we think these are the projected five starters and it could may not even be this. Right. Right. And then if this guy doesn't start, probably you got to drop, drop his minutes, eight minutes. Right. right. And then you just got to wait. Like if it's one of those scenarios, then, then I know why there's such a dramatic range between sites. Cause one site's like you look at their projected starters and they're different. It's like right. one site has Jordan Nawara as the best value play on the slate, and another site has him at 22 minutes. Right. It's like, well, it depends on if Jordan Nawara starts or if he doesn't. Right. And one side, it's like, nope, he's not going to start, and this guy's going to get in the rotation. And the other side is like, nope, he's running out with the starters and doing. But you're not going to have. But you you understand what I'm saying? I mean that 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 happens. I mean right. when you're looking at awesome all the time. But yeah. but the thing is with you, you're looking at one place, so you're yeah. just living and dying by essentially. The awesome mode, the awesome mode NBA projection team. Like, the more right they are, the better you are. You're not taking. So I would, I would say that that part is correct. The more right they are, the better I am in general. But I'm also not living and dying by it. I'm, I'm doing plenty of my own, like, uh, factoring in different ways that it could go. And I'm, I'm not always. I mean, I mean, I, I do enough manually adjusting projections that I'm not necessarily living and dying by them. But certainly their ownership projections, I'm living and dying by to some extent. Right. But you're at least using the, the, the player projections as a baseline. I am. Yeah. Yeah. It's very similar to me. I use the RG projections as a baseline, but I will yeah. change, but I will change like, 
Like that's that that's the main reason why I I don't have on the pregame shows. I have no problem. Like, like we could talk about anything you want, process wise. It's like you're never gonna get the same lineups as me because I'm gonna be changing all these numbers. But once you got yep. the numbers, here's my pro. Like here's the. But it's like you're never gonna you're never gonna know, like unless you you know how to judge ownership and like RG will have a guy be fourteen percent owned, and then you'll see me on the pregame show the next day with an ownership number of 24 next to their name. And they ended up coming in at like 21% owned. And it's like, yeah. I, and then people will be like, well, I played a lot of that guy because he was too under owned for 14%. I go, yeah, but he wasn't too under owned for 24%. He was, right. Like, but how did you know? Like, yeah, because I looked and because other places had him for two more minutes and small forward was weak. And I knew that this would be based on the construction that, He's going to get into more lineups. Anyone that's using projections from these other sites are going to get more of them. And yeah, like that's yeah. So Travis and I talked about that. How oh, he doesn't want to do content because he doesn't want to put out content that doesn't give a hundred hundred percent, and also doesn't want to give out edge. And I, I made that comment that I'm kind of on the same page as you in that I'm willing to give out my entire blueprint, give out my thought process and everything because so much of what I do is just based on instincts that I'm like, you can't really teach people to have your exact instincts. And, and your, I mean, your process is more involved than mine is <laughs> since you're looking at multiple sites and doing your own kind of ownership. But even with my process, I'm like, yeah, I can teach people exactly how I do what I do. And I'm trying to give people the best info that I can, but it's still, you can't teach people to have your experience, your instincts. And I feel like that's, that's the kind of, because I, I'm, because you and I are not originators, we are kind of just using available data and adjusting. I think it's kind of, it would be hard for anybody to replicate what we're doing in real time when information is coming out, how we're making changes, how we're adjusting to that information. Right. And a lot of times what I'm doing is not even, uh, is, there's no precise way of, that I'm doing it. Me neither. It, yeah. is, like like the, the main thing, because people will ask, it's like, oh, well, you're going to bump, the, uh, the, you know, we have this guy at 20% owned and I think he's going to be 36% owned because of X, Y, and Z. And people will say, okay, so I'll change it from 20 to 36. And I go, that, that's not the only thing you could do. You have to do other things. And right. I go, what do you mean do other things? Well, if that guy's going to be 16% more owned, other guys are going to be less owned. So you got to start bumping other people down. So it's like, yeah. if he's a, so what positions does he fill? And what salary ranges does he fill? And he's have to start bumping those. Well, how much should I bump it down? I have no idea. I just guesstimate. <laughs> I, just, I right. just guesstimate it. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't have any program that runs that. I mean, I don't, it doesn't equal, if I add up my ownership, it doesn't equal whatever the number is 600% of it does. It doesn't because my, uh, anyone that's in my player pool, I have a minimum ownership of 2%. Some of them are going to end up at 0.8%. Some of them are going to be like, I, it's not, there's no point. I'm not going to, one in two doesn't matter to me. So I just do two, right? So two is the <laughs> lowest. And typically on the bottom, I don't even do three. I do two, four, six, eight, ten. I do by twos, and then I do by fives. But so what like are you doing? You're, you're doing. You're putting a minimum ownership on players. No, if I 2%? have a guy in a play, my player pool, I'm assuming they're going to be at least two percent owned. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'll go. I'll go to our ownership. Oh, when you're doing your ownership, okay. I get right. It. Our our ownership has them at three percent. Awesomeo has them at one point two percent. Etr has them at two point two percent. It's two. It's okay. when it's that low, it. it's two. So it's like 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 15, 20, 25, 30, 30. And I'm, I'm, 
32 versus 33. No, I'm, I'm not doing that shit. Like, I, right. I, I don't have time for that. You're not going down to hundredths of a percent? No. I'm not even going to the... I'm going... To, but once you get up to, like, 50, I, I go from 50 to 60. Like, I'm just like... It's one of the two. It's going to be 50, 50 it's by five, yeah. it's by something. I mean, I don't have to... Is it 58? Is it 56? Well, fuck you. It's either 55 or 60, right? It's right. Be, right? It, it's whatever, because I'm doing it all manually. Because then I have to, this guy's 60, now I have to start bumping other other people down. So if a guy that that is uh, 25% owned, well, now you're 20% owned. So, but what happens if it's 23? Well, fuck it, I don't care. I mean, like, like I don't have time to, to gauge between 2% when I'm doing it imprecisely. I'm just doing it directionally accurate, right? Right. So it's like when people are like, well, how do you do, like, dude, you just, just guess, estimate right. right you don't have to be, you don't have to be perfect so what i say all the time is that my whole approach is much more of an more of an art than a science there's science involved in that i'm using projections but a lot of it's just art there's no precision to it i'm not i don't know i'm not uh adding up minutes so like when i when i'm doing projections i, I adjust projections and theoretically i'm projecting the minutes for a player they don't sum up to you know, the sum total of minutes that are in a game for a team. So it's, it's definitely more 40 minutes. Yeah. For me, they don't No, Cause sometimes I, I want to be taking a chance on. So for example, centers from the same team where hmm. there's a lot of imprecision. You, you don't know, you know, maybe they average 24 minutes each, but different games don't right, each get 28. Sometimes right. they're two of the best plays in the game. So I'll project them both for 28 minutes. Right. And I'll say, don't get both of them, but, Sometimes I try, I do that on purpose, you know, it's, but you're just adjusting. So you get more, you could, you don't even have to move the minutes. You could just move the actual projection. You could just say, which is what I do. Right, That's exactly right. what so I do. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, but like theoretically, when I'm adjusting the projections, what I'm really doing is adjusting the minutes, but there's no precision to it. I'm not, it's not summing up to 240 minutes. Right. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's, it's similar to what I say on the, on the morning show is that make whatever numbers you want. Like make make whatever projections you want, make whatever ownership you want. But once you're done with that, it's like then you're done with basketball. Now now you're just now you're just building lineups. So it's like if you want to if you want to make it so that two centers are like this, and because they're like that, they fit in different line. Then then so be it. But I mean, like do whatever you want. So there, there are plenty of people that look and go, I don't agree with this guy's projection. So I say change it then. Yeah. So change it. Right. <laughs> That's perfectly fine. I think he's going to play 34 minutes, not 32. So change it to 34. And now his projection goes up by 1.8 points. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, so I... I, I think I this did, guy's uh, going to be twice as owned as 10 per, He's going to be 20 per, so, so put 20 in. I mean, like, <laughs> nothing stops you from doing any of that. Just to do that. But once you've done all of that, then you shouldn't be going like, well, this could be this and this... Like, all those, all that other stuff is still factored into the projections already and in the ownership of your lineup it's like you should be once you get everything down to a number you should be done with the basketball side of things you should be focused more on the the dfs strategy and game theory of everything right so i, I recently did a uh fantasy cruncher how-to video did a couple of them for the super bowl and i told people i adjust projections but you probably shouldn't do it if you're a beginner, you shouldn't project, you shouldn't change the projections within fantasy cruncher. Would you, would you disagree with that? Do you think that beginners can be okay changing projections? Cause that's, that's something like, well, I don't want to like, I don't want people just making bad lineups. So I'm like, if you're a beginner, you should start by just making good, well-projected lineups. I, so I gave the advice. Don't, don't change the projections if you're new to this, but. I, I have a bad business advice. 
Okay. I've the I've the good I've good advice that would be bad for business. Okay. What what's your good advice? If they're that much of a beginning, they shouldn't be using a tool like Fantasy Cruncher to begin with. They should be they okay. should be hand building lineups. Use it utilizing projections and ownership and just hand building lineups. Until I you suppose, understand yeah. why lineups good are good versus bad and what the construction look. Oh, if I play up here, I gotta pay down here. If I play an yeah. high owned player there, I gotta play a low owned player there. Like just to learn the basic dynamics of making good GPP lineups for the field size that you're playing. Uh, yep. And then, then you'd go and... That's probably fair it. advice. Right. Yeah. If you're just showing up, it's like, yep, never played before. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, what buttons do I press? Like, that's... that's. Yeah. They probably shouldn't be doing either. Like, like whether or not they change the projection, I don't even know if it matters. Right. Because, dude, I've seen I've seen people's lineup sets that I... I it's a mystery to me how they get there. I think we talked about this last show. Right. So, I was just like, I have no idea what you pressed to get to these lineups. Yeah. <laughs> no. Did you change the projections? No. No clue. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that that the best advice is, is don't don't touch an optimizer until like until you re- until you understand what the tool is. Yeah. Right. But that's I will say so. That, that's not going to send more videos, to, video views to you. Yeah, the how to the how to use a tool that you shouldn't be using to begin with. There was a recent change in in Fantasy Cruncher where the default isn't use Osmo projections; it's used some weird other projection. But it's like only in FanDuel they had this weird default where I was like, I would crunch the first time and be like, How the hell am I getting that match with that player that projects so poorly? And then I look and I was like, Oh, it's because the the button changed from like the default to use my projections to use some random number. And I wonder if that's, that's what happened. Maybe they were using Fantasy Cruncher and they were using this this weird default button. I think they've probably changed it back by now, but there was a little while where they changed some of the what's available in Fantasy Cruncher and it messed with the, the defaults a little bit. That's, so that's, hopefully they've changed that's that how back they get now. You. That's how Stetler yeah. gets you. Yeah. That's why you don't use it. That's why I don't use it. I use it. All right, well, that's a different story. Yeah, right. That's a whole different topic. That's a whole different, that's yeah. a whole different Quebec. I, I, it's nothing against the, the, I have nothing against the tool. I know, I know. Uh, well, if people want to find uh, the, the high, the high stakes podcast, it is a separate pod. So I, if you, if you subscribe to the Awesome uh, main podcast feed, uh, get ready to li- get ready to have like 30 shows a day on that, on that feed. Uh, with everything that that you guys put out there, but you do find yeah. it still comes. You're like, oh, episode one, there it is. I have to make sure not to delete anything because most of the most of the stuff I don't. I'm not gonna listen to the prize picks six minute thing and the right, right. right. Like it's just it's this kind. But it's everything that Osmo puts out, so I, I I still have it in my podcast player. But they could also subscribe. High stakes. You're in Spotify, Spreaker, anywhere. I I looked it up. Rate and review yeah. it in iTunes. Yeah. Right, it's good. I I don't watch podcast or I don't listen to podcasts generally, so I probably need to figure out where this stuff is all going. But yeah, your find own, me wherever wherever podcasts it. live, as they say on on Osmo. Wherever podcasts live, you can find it. Right, but you, don't you think you made it? You got your own show. I made it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see how the show does. Uh, but you could check that out. Awesome.com. Obviously, I'm always on the Roto Grinders. Pre-game show, DFS, pre-game show every uh, Monday weekend, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Tuesday, Friday, every weekday, uh, 11 a.m. 
on, on the YouTubes, as well as the DFS pregame show uh, podcast feed. It's like it's like we're 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 from t- we're, we're we're like uh we're we're like the representatives from like uh, a turf war that doesn't exist. Right. Right. You know how many yeah. you know how many people how many how many people uh like players or whatever subscribers or people around the, think that there's like oh my god oh you're talking to someone from another site it's like yeah like yeah we all subscribe to all the sites right we all subscribe <laughs> I think most to all the most of us anyway. yeah like what what's yeah. what's that that big of a but site versus site oh I can't believe you're doing a show with someone from like what why why not. Although you're also, we're doing the show on, on this channel. This is something that I'm sort of starting to play with is who can I have on my awesome show? Well, we'll see who's available. Right, Obviously, right, I'd like to, I'd love to have you on at some point. I think I that you are, show. you can't be on my show. I'm not, I don't, I'm you don't not, think so? All right. Well, I'm not sure. Well, then I won't I, have I you on. I, but I, if, I could be a guest on others. I, I, I could be. No, yeah, no, definitely. Cause we've, we've had awesome people on. Dean has done interviews during COVID with, with, Guys from Moss, yeah, yeah. So then, then it's not a. Well, we'll talk. It'd be interesting seeing seeing this me being the host with you as a guest. The whole right. dynamic would be off. What would we talk about? Is there a point? I don't know. To that? I don't know. We've already talked about it all. Right. So so, but th- this is what you need to do for your it, very similar uh, to uh, to to me on on this show. Like, if I'm ever on your show, that means someone, so, a guest. Essentially canceled last minute, right? And you just DM me and Blender, help me out, yeah. right? Right. So, because I don't, because truthfully, I don't think there's any point for me being on. If you're going to be on this show and we do this every right. other week, what the yeah. fuck am I going to? What? It's a yes, it's a different audience, I guess. But I'm assuming yeah. people that follow you follow me, and people that follow yeah. me follow you. And what? what not what necessarily. You have up? a lot more followers than I do, so I think they're. That's not the second part of that's not necessarily true, right? But it's it's hard for me. Uh, there's there's a fine line between what I what I should be tweeting out and being a it's it's it me I I have no problem promoting good content. I'll, I'll always defend. Like it doesn't matter. I I'll I I promoted stuff. There's not Roto Grinders plenty of times, right? Yeah. And there are plenty and there are plenty of shows on Roto Grinders I've never promoted, right? Okay. Right. Uh, so like I've no I've no problem, but. Typically, it's the type. It's the type of thing. In from it's it's more of a uh, politeness type. It's more of a like it a faux pas. Like I would, I would never, tw- I would never tweet out. Go check out Neil on the Awesome O Live Before Lock show when right. Roto Grinders has their own show at the same exact time. Like right, like you wouldn't do that. But like right. an interview no. show or something like that. You know, like that's. It's a different thing, right? It's a it's a it's a different thing. It's like as if it's not if it's not competing. Truthfully, I don't mind doing that either, but it just it doesn't it doesn't look good, right? Right, right. Because you're, yeah. you're 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 getting paid as an independent contractor from one site, and then promoting yeah. content that is very similar to the content on the site that you're part of on yeah. another. Like it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good, even though even though I do even say on this podcast that I do watch all show shows right i do yeah right. but i listen to everything also so i like like yeah no i i can't listen to a levitan solo pod for the fucking sex questions because because i'm at roto grinders it's like no no right. i listen because i want to listen i still entertaining yeah so you'll never say so basically basically i'm i'm, I'm the guest of last resort 
Right, exactly. You'll be you'll be my fill in the last minute. Okay, so go go do that. If you're listening to this podcast, high stakes, a DFS discussion show. You could search on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Even if you just search for DFS, it should come up as one of the podcasts in the search. So if you want to listen to Neil interview uh, some of the same people that I've had. And I've interviewed <laughs> on this show before uh, uh, and learn more about uh, the, the, the lifestyle of the of lifestyles of the rich and famous. And it's very similar. It's a very similar type show. You're more process based. And you're also you were on the recent episode of the emotional bankroll podcast with Brian Jester. And yep. uh, he's the, he's put out three episodes and it's more about four now. The, Four? You're the fourth. I was the fourth. Right. Yep, yep. He had Colin on first. Yep. Colin. Brick. At, Br- okay. Yeah. That's who I'm forgetting. Yep. So you're on the fourth episode. And it's pretty much a whole show about uh, how how playing full time is not uh, not all rainbows and unicorns. Right. Pretty much. Okay. And then, as always, you can get the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15 hour audio DFS masterclass. You can pick up at Theory of DFS dot 